really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. As always, I am David Lawrence, an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, you know what? It's always great to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and I love just getting your emails at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, it's Monday night, I've got my big fat mug of tea, and it was another massive menu of rugby this weekend, so let's dive right in. So time for our current updates, and this week, I am very pleased to say that a very good friend of mine, who I've known since high school, just got married. Uh, my partner and I made the trip to Long Island, where he had a lovely ceremony and a smashing reception, just a, a grand time all around. The DJ was sort of like a parody of my cousin Vinny. And, you know, if I have any complaints at all, it's that the volume literally could have masked an ACDC concert. The multiple subwoofers literally blew my hair around. It was so loud. Uh, a friend had actually had a decibel meter on her phone, and it was averaging above 100 where we were, which the app classified as somewhere between diesel truck and subway train. So my brain is still recovering, I think. Uh the most amazing part probably was the food. I mean, it was Mecca for appetizers, and it just kept coming and coming. They even had a chicken and waffle station, which is something I've never even imagined seeing at a wedding reception. A dinner itself included things like filet mignon. It was basically two straight days of an open bar, so the mind boggles at what the ultimate price tag must have been for his dad. Uh, anyway, most importantly, my friend has never looked so happy. I am just over the moon for him. The look on his face as his bride-to-be began the walk down the aisle is one I will never forget. And after a very a very tough few years for him, I'm just beyond ecstatic for him and his new family, of course. Cheers, my friend. All the blessings and luck to you and yours in the world. He's no, Isa, I'm afraid the news this week is not good. It's even more bad news about R.G. Snyman and his ongoing attempts to return to playing with Munster. Quoting here, quote, The long-awaited return of R.G. Snyman to action with Munster has again been put on the long finger, no phrase I've never heard before, uh, following their latest squad update ahead of this Friday's match versus the Lions in the URC. Not since an October 2021 league game against Scarlet has the giant Springboks lock been involved in a match and hopes that he could potentially be included in this in his Irish cl uh, club's busy league and European schedule in January, have been dashed by his team's latest medical bulletin. Quote, R.G. Snyman's progression has seen him return to field-based rehabilitation and running. He remains unavailable for the upcoming games this month, unquote, read the Munster statement on the South African who has played just four games and 54 minutes since joining the Irish province in 2020. Set to turn 28 later this month, the ongoing absence of the 2019 World Cup winner has become a massive frustration for Munster, given their large financial outlay on Snyman, who was recruited by Johan van Graan and was awarded a contract extension last January. That will see him remain until the summer of 2024 with the club that is now coached by Graham Roundtree. It was in his debut game for Munster at Leinster in August 2020, when Steinman tore his ACL, then came the skin graft that was needed to repair a, a fire burn damage following a freak fire pit accident 
in 2021, a setback that was followed by his latest knee injury 15 months ago, which cut short his three-game comeback. The latest Munster update means that the latest uh, the latest projected return of Snyman to play has now been pushed back into his club's Six Nations window after it had initially been suggested he was potentially in line to make it back by the end of December, unquote. You know, after after the throwing gasoline on the fire incident, I definitely took a couple of shots at the guy. But at this stage, I mean, you just have to kind of feel for him. The guy, he just can't buy a break. I mean, of course, if there were breaks for sale somewhere, he could probably get a few with all the money Munster are paying him. But still, poor guy. So moving on to our thoughts of the week and my thoughts this week somehow landed on Steve Hansen after after finding a little clickbait piece the other day that I totally got suckered into. Um, I think the article is actually an old one, but nevertheless, quote, former All Blacks coach Steve Hansen has labeled Richie McCaw as, quote, the best rugby player the world has ever seen, unquote. Hansen, who coached McCaw briefly with Canterbury before linking back up with the legendary flanker with the All Blacks, made the statement in a wide-ranging interview with Wales Online, where he reflected on his tenure with the All Blacks. That included coaching at four World Cups with two as an assistant uh, assistant coach to Graham Henry before taking over as head coach for the 2015 Triumph and 2019 third place finished. However, it was in 2011 where the All Blacks faced the most adversity and where McCaw made his ultimate lasting impression, playing despite a broken foot through the knockout stages as the All Blacks claimed their first World Cup since 1987. Remarkably, even though he knew something was wrong, Hansen told Wales Online he wasn't aware of the extent of McCaw's suffering because the coaching staff didn't want to know and McCaw didn't want to fess up. Quote, Our skipper had two broken bones in his foot. We didn't know they were broken because we didn't ask. We didn't want to know and he didn't want to say, unquote, Hansen said. Quote, What he did in that tournament was phenomenal. Mentally, he would be the toughest bloke I've ever had anything to do with in my coaching career. I think he's the best rugby player the world has ever seen, unquote. The 2011 World Cup triumph broke a 24-year drought without a cup for the All Blacks, and McCaw's mental and physical toughness played a major role in the breakthrough. Quote, we won the next one by the skin of our teeth under some tough mental issues with not having won once for 24 years, unquote, said Hansen. Quote, the whole nation was desperate to win it. We were desperate to win it, unquote. Hansen also credits the New Zealand rugby bosses for keeping the faith in the coaching trio of Henry, Wayne Smith, and himself after their disastrous quarterfinal exit to France in the 2007 World Cup. Quote, you've got to remember, we bombed the World Cup in 2007. He said, we were the best team by far going into that tournament, and we bombed it by not understanding what World Cups are about. I think that was a turning point in New Zealand's World Cup history. The New, England, uh, the New Zealand rugby union were strong enough, smart enough, whatever you want to call it, to say we were going to come back and do it again. It was the first time in all-black history a group of coaches has been given the opportunity to take the lessons they had learned from a World Cup poor performance and put them into the next one, unquote. <laughs> I, I appreciate that Steve Hansen, unlike a lot of coaches, seems to have taken his retirement very seriously. You know, but at the same time, I miss his, you know, his understated little jabs of the media. Ian Foster just doesn't seem to have the same aura, I guess. And at times like this, I honestly miss the guy. Okay, that sound tells you it's time to get right into our reviews. And I have a new little segment for us this week regarding each of our usual competitions. The URC, the Prem, and the Top 14 are all 
pretty well past the halfway mark in their respective seasons, so I took some time to just kind of look more closely at all three league tables, finding some interesting tidbits. So leading into this, this past weekend, in the URC, there were still five teams who hadn't lost at home. Stormers and Leinster, not surprising, but Bulls, maybe a bit, Glasgow, another, and Benetton round out that list. Dragons and Scarlet still hadn't won a road game, along with Zebra, who haven't won anything, period. Leinster, of course, also haven't lost on the road, obviously, being undefeated. In the Premiership, only Saracens remain undefeated at home, while two clubs haven't won away, those teams being London Irish and Northampton Saints. And in the top 14, three teams have been perfect at home, Toulouse, the obvious one, and Cast and Bayon, the other two, so a pair of teams haven't won any games away from home, one being Perpignan, and the other, hysterically, is Cast. That's right. After 14 games, Cast have been the most French of all 14 clubs, winning every single home fixture and throwing away every road opportunity. Let's see if any of that changed over this weekend. So, starting with the URC, Friday brought us two fixtures. It was Dragons hosting the Bulls at Rodney Parade and Munster welcoming the Lions. Uh, to start off, you know, I was worried that the Dragons would get their butts kicked yet again, but I read a little, uh, you know, five things to know uh, article ahead of time, and they somehow, they kind of convinced me that it might be an actual match. Uh, by the way, at the beginning, it was my first time seeing the music and light show at Rodney Parade. It, it seemed a little bit odd with the place looking to be only about half full, but I don't know, maybe it's a tough place to park, I guess. Quote, the shadow of Dean Ryan has finally departed, unquote, announced the, the lilting voice of Gareth Reese owen But the Bulls had never lost to any re Welsh region, and after 17 minutes, it was already a 17-point shutout for the visitors. However, that weird thing that seems to happen frequently happened, where Dragons got yellow-carded and instantly found inspiration from that, getting it to 14-17 to 17 at halftime. It would take the next 20 minutes for anyone to find points, and it was Bulls with their third try... Uh, Dragons victims to to the to the Bulls powerhouse scrum all day long. Rio Dyer he had another strong performance, and pod favorite Sam Davis looked typically competent, but Cornell Hendricks was unstoppable off the bench. And by the end, the guests got themselves off the Schneid, beating their hosts fourteen to twenty nine. Munster versus Lions was one I'd been looking forward to for weeks, and holy cow, it was raining so hard I started compulsively gathering two of every animal. And yes. I'm aware I've used that joke before. Oh, mascot sighting. It was, I now understand, Oscar, the Munster rugby mascot, who appears to be, you know, a very squat moose. Love it. Uh, if any of you have a plush, by the way, please, please send me one. So at least as exciting was seeing that Holly Davidson was in charge of this one, so there would be no nonsense involved. Uh, ben Healy, newly announced signing for Edinburgh, got the start but it was a surprisingly different Munster squad than we saw last week. I wondered aloud if that was going to backfire. So the first quarter was all about, you know, more South African scrum dominance, but only two points separated the teams early on. It was the home side's incredible defense that finally got the roar from the crowd, turning over the lines after an eternity knocking on their door. By the second half, Munster appeared to be in control, leading 19-3 to after 50 minutes, and it was two more tries after that to leave the Lions as shocked as they were soaked. 33-3, to what a result at Musgrave Park. So, Saturday started with both Italian clubs' fixtures, the first being Benetton hosting Ulster. It was a bit of a gray day in Parma, and, uh, you know... It was warning bells for the Ulstermen who've taken the crisis mantle from Munster in the last few weeks as they found themselves down 70 to 10 at the break. 
Lots of Ulster fans made the trip, by the way. Always cool to see a big cluster of supporters making a day of it away from home. Uh, it wasn't until Benetton got yellow carded with less than 10 minutes to go that Ulster would finally pull ahead with a penalty try. But a pen for the, the hosts got them back in front with only two minutes left. Ulster, they got a great charge and looked to be in line for a winning try when they spilled it forward, coughing up possession and ultimately the match going down 31 to 29 as the Italian crowd erupted. Benetton remained unbeaten at home and let full panic mode in Belfast commence. So then it was Edinburgh at home for Zebre. And in the week leading up, I honestly, I got the sense from Edinburgh fans that they were struggling with a lot of anxiety over this one. Um, I've said here, often that I'm very keen for Zebra to finally get a win, but I was hoping it wouldn't be over friend of the pod, Craig Manson's team. Side note, uh, this one was listed as being at Murrayfield again, which made me kind of raise an eyebrow, but naturally it wasn't there. It was back at the goddamn health, thankfully. Uh, anywho, Edinburgh, they've been hit by the injury bug of late and fielded kind of an odd lineup, but still they owned a 10 point shutout at the half. Zebra just took 10 minutes in the first, uh, in the second half to tie things up. You could feel the anxiety rising among the crowd. Things got intense as the score seesawed back and forth, but a powerful scrum led to an incredible Patrick Harrison try as the clock ebbed away. It was Edinburgh sending the visitors to yet another defeat, securing a bonus point at the same time, a thrilling ending as they won 24 to 17. Great stuff. And then it was time for yet another Welsh derby. It was Cardiff versus Scarlets. And I'm afraid I let this one slip between the cracks. I blame being at a wedding where, you know, some people apparently think it's rude or something to put in noise-canceling earbuds and stare at your phone. I mean, what is wrong with these people? In the end, I am sorry I missed it. Looked like a cracker. Uh, Scarlet's getting an impressive win away from home. Their first of the season, in fact, besting the former Blues 22-28. to Next up was my Connacht boys versus, uh, versus the Sharks. My tiny little ball of hope got a bit of a boost this week as I read about Sharks opting to leave all of their big guns back in Durban. I was very surprised to see the squad that Connacht selected in response. It it just didn't seem like they thought this was, you know, one of those rare opportunities to actually get a win against a South African team. bit disappointed, if I'm honest. Uh, they, of course, hoped the cold and the wind would come to their aid, but both sides struggled to find any go-forward ball early on, with the comms referring to the first eight minutes as, quote, pretty putrid stuff, unquote, updating that assessment only minutes later to, quote, dreadful, unquote. Uh, don't beat around the bush, y'all. Tell us what you really think. Anyway, Connacht, they took a modest lead eventually and still had a 19-point shutout after three quarters of an hour. Sharks inexperienced together and, in general, really, you know, really started to tell in this one. And while they eventually did score, a second try was wiped away for a player blatantly offside. Uh, by the end, with the wind making kicks look like there was an invisible wall five meters away from the kicker, it was a good old-fashioned double-up, a rough-and-tumble Connacht, defeating the Skeleton Crew Sharks 24-12. to Big win for my guys from Galway. Well, then it was time for what I imagined would be the smackdown of the week, Ospreys hosting Leinster. Ospreys have showed some signs this year, but, you know, let's face it, Leinster are a threshing machine. And even with a ton of lineup changes, it didn't look like anything was going to change. Ospreys did hold lead for long swaths of this match. But just as we come to expect, Leinster would score to go ahead late, then pile on one last try to put the home team to bed. 19-24, bringing their unbeaten streak in all competitions to 14. Finally, for the round, whew, Glasgow 
We're at home to take on Stormers, a very tall order indeed. Glasgow, of course, were flush with their successes over their rivals for the 1872 Cup, but I mean, come on. So as the players emerged from the tunnel, I was a bit confused by the sight of two players leading out one little kid in the middle before I realized it was actually two little kids being led out by George Horn. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Anywho, it was Sebastian Cancellieri getting a gorgeous try in the corner to open the Warriors' account, but Dwebe, he answered right back and then threw a nice long glare the way of the crowd. I'm starting to love that dude. Um, Stain got the lead back. This one looked like a pure back-and-forth fair before we'd even reached the end of the first quarter of play. At one point, Stormers scored a, try, a tying try, and Labak did that usual thing he does, and a lot of these teams do, of wasting a buttload of time taking his conversion. The comms chimed in, saying how it should have been taken by now, and then went on to explain, while there are new rules implementing, you know, keeping track of the clocks, as we discussed just here last week, all these things to speed up uh, the game and make sure that people aren't wasting time, According to the comms, they haven't actually started using those protocols yet because, as they said, they're still deciding when they should do so. I mean, you specifically announced January 1st, so what exactly is the discussion here? I don't understand. Oh, my word. So much nonsense in this sport. Sometimes I love it, and sometimes, uh, I mean, get it together, right? In any case, great bit from the comms who said, I don't think Miyati's had too much haggis. But if uh, but that one looked like a haggis coming off his boot. And yes, please, more haggis references, if you will. So we were locked at 17 with under 10 minutes to go. I wondered out loud if this was another, you know, sort of Leinster or Saracen style match where the Stormers could be tied or behind even at this stage and still just rip your heart out with a win at the end. I got really fired up. The home team playing an advantage deep in Stormers territory, just a handful of minutes left. The crowd baying for pay dirt, rain pelting in sleet like knives, but Warriors made an errant pass to lose a ton of vital ground. I was again counting them out, or at least picturing maybe a draw, but then, oh my word, Sione Tupalatu, a kick that looked way too aggressive for me. I assumed he was just going to go out the back, but no, it was effing picture perfect conciliary dotting down another with just a minute remaining glasgow looking to drive the nail into the coffin it was a bonus point win for the streaking warriors unbeaten at scots in this season i am shocked what a match 24 to 17 at full time wow so moving over to the premiership there was one friday fixture it was gloucester hosting saracens gloucester kept it really close in the first half found themselves with a slim lead headed towards the final quarter Owen Farrell doinked one off the posts in a shot to retake the lead. Oh, and by the way, as I mentioned, there's all this talk about speeding up the game right now. I have the perfect solution. Don't allow Owen Farrell to participate in any way. Oh, and by the way, update. Um, <laughs> there was yet another Owen Farrell nasty high tackle there. Uh, tomorrow's Tuesday. That's, I think, when they're meeting to decide what the citation is going to be. So it could be that he wasn't supposed to be around for the end when... Presto, it was a drop goal by him to seal the win for the Saracens again. Oh, man, what a heartbreaker for the Cherry and Whites. Um, Atoje, by the way, he had for me one of his more standout games of the year. He snagged at least two lineout steals by my count, generally just wreaking havoc out there. Good to see him finding his groove again, though that prospect must be a nightmare for the rest of the Prem. Uh, in any event, 
I feel like the Saracens have given other teams the yips, like the, their ability to just pull it out at the very end. I feel like teams get so scared, they tighten up and just don't play as well. Um, Gloucester were, again, victims of that very same thing. Uh, Saracens, they are so good this year. Newcastle versus Leicester was on Saturday. This one was actually a lot of fun. I mean, unless you're a Tigers fan. Falcons, they looked really sharp, while the Leicester discipline throughout was just shocking. With defense, I would charitably call porous, I guess. Uh, Carreras on the left wing looked amazing, physically as well as playing-wise, with the comms reporting, just for research purposes, of course, I got a close-up view of his quads before the game, and those things are built for speed. <laughs> Weird. Uh, he'd gather a hat trick and more on him later. Maybe two-thirds of the way through, they had a chat with the newly promoted Leicester coach. Uh, I, I have to apologize. I don't know if it was uh, Wigglesworth or not. Uh, and I, I kind of scrolled back through it trying to find this segment again. It was one of their coaches. I, I can't say for sure it was Wigglesworth. But anyway, they asked him why Leicester's discipline was so poor. And he said, I, I don't know. And I'm too despondent right now to figure it out. <laughs> uh, Newcastle, they just kept piling on, adding their sixth try right at the end to make the final score 45 to 26. Wow, great showing by them. So next up was Exeter versus Northampton. And you know what? I decided to save myself the aggravation of listening to their dimwit fans. And I think my policy going forward is simply don't watch Chiefs home games. Anyway, scoring it up a bit of a whopper, 35 to 12. Screw those guys. Harlequins versus Sale was next. I had this one circled as the Prem's match of the week for sure. Once again, the conditions, though, were atrocious. But for a change, gotta say, it seemed like both teams actually came with a modified plan of attack in order to deal with it. Most of the time, it feels like teams just kind of stick to their usual plan and then just execute it less well than they would have. But both these teams actually have evidence of a dy dynamic coaching, which is probably why they're both so good. In any event, I'm sure there's a bad joke here somewhere about the Sharks being good in the water, but I'm I'm just not going to go looking for it. You're welcome. Uh, they they did look more comfortable than their hosts, however. They led 3-14 to 14 after only about the first quarter of the game, while Quinns looked a little bit stymied. Uh, at one point, the comm said, Look at Aaron Reed's legs. He looks like one of those little spaniels that, that's been running around through the puddles at the park. And I, I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, there he is, our little muddy spaniel, he said soon after. I mean, is there going to be a fight after this game? Anywho, Harlequins opened the second half with a bang, got back within three to keep things close, but things got pretty slow after that. Sale just turned those screws, even got to a bonus point, defeating the suddenly up and down Harlequins 16 to 24. And then finally, we had London Irish versus Bristol, a game I found myself having a very hard time caring about. Um, uh, Home team, they looked pretty good. The visitors looked not very good. And with the Bears failing to score a point in the second half, this one and the round ended 23-7 to for the suddenly dangerous exiles. Quick side note here. You know, I really would love to hear from y'all, the listeners, about which league has the best comms. So I've realized over the course of this season that I, in large part, just don't particularly care for the primary commentators and analysts in the premiership. There's a weird sort of hoity-toitiness to it. There's always this underlying current of we're all old school chums and make little inside jokes that you're really not meant to understand. And on top of that, like the, the number of sports analogies they use from things like cricket, soccer, and golf, I don't know. I just find it very off-putting. 
Uh, the top 14 does a good job where I watch it in English, but I do suspect they often just sort of get one individual to watch a game after the fact in a booth somewhere and just add English commentator uh, commentary after the fact. Don't get me wrong. That makes perfect sense. It's obviously the best thing to do, but it's always better to have two people together who can sort of play off of each other and be there in the moment. So for me, it's the URC all the way. They're they're more diverse, more dynamic. There's a level of investment that just kind of rings true for me. In any event, it's just a half-baked thought. I'm, I'm literally still sort of formulating it as I'm saying it to you. I would love to hear what you all think. Please send me your takes via all the usual channels. I would really appreciate your feedback. And then... In the top 14, it was a big slate of six matches on Saturday, just the one on Sunday. Saturday, it was my Border Beagles versus Bayon. My guys came out on fire, scoring 10 points in 10 minutes, but things considerably cooled off after that. Both teams struggling for purchase. In the second half, Bordeaux built what the comms called an ominous lead, which very much cracked me up. And by the way, that stadium was freaking packed. Uh, one of the seats, in fact, occupied by last week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner, Matthew Jalabert, who had earned a rest off the victory over Montpellier. Bayon wouldn't score their first try until the 72nd minute, but they just looked to, to be running out of time at that stage. But you know what? Nobody told them that. Suddenly, they had some real momentum. Where had that been all day? Missing a conversion left them down eight with only three minutes left. That would effectively end it. Another great win for Bordeaux at home, 23-15, to leapfrogging four of the other eight-win teams and securing themselves fourth place on the congested league table. I guess firing the coach really worked out for them. So then, we had several fixtures I was only able to catch highlights from, including Brive versus Toulon, Clermont versus Perpignan, Pau versus Lyon, and Stade Francais versus Cast. Uh, with Brive versus Toulon, uh, I mean, I don't know what to make of this Toulon team. They're just so schizo. Uh, this week, they dropped another one pretty handily, 26-17, a good showing for the home side for sure. Uh, with Claremont versus Perpignan, the visitors put up a bit of a fight and had some good takeaways, but it still wasn't enough, losing again on the road, 31-20. to For Po versus Lyon, we had a rush album sighting score-wise, though, although it was backwards, to be fair. Uh, Poe really struggling this year. If they lose again next week, their losses will double their wins Lyon, the definition of a middle-of-the-road team, went above 500 by winning 12-21. to And for Stade Francais versus Cast, it was, you know, barely a contest. Have to admit, I actually am kind of glad I missed this one. The home team smashing their guests 26-7. to Cast still haven't lost at home, nor won away. Love it. Anyway, La Rochelle versus Toulouse was the one... You know, I had pegged this one. I had it on the board, outlined, circled, highlighted. But unfortunately, well, blow rugby sucks. Enough said on that. Very annoyed I was not able to watch how this one unfolded. But your final score ended up being a shocking 30-7. to What on earth is up with Toulouse right now? Sunday's match to finish up our weekend was Montpellier versus Racing. And as per my little semi-mini tradition here, I am saving this one for later in the week. So as always, Please, my friends, no spoilers. Well, by that music, you will know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, the award goes to... Mateo Carreras, Mr. Carreras, your hat trick for the Falcons this weekend brought you to 11 
tries on the year, leading the entire premiership. Your speed, evasiveness, your uncanny knack for finding angles and lines that absolutely dissect opposing defenses is truly a sight to behold. It was your spark that ignited your side to a famous win against the erstwhile champions, and at just 23 years of age, you are lighting the league on fire. Mateo Carreras, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir. So, my friends, that, of course, brings us to our updates and previews. And next weekend, the EPCR swings back into action, anxiously looking to see just how much criticism it can generate over the next two rounds. Man, oh, man, the vitriol over this new format, it's been a lot. I mean, hard to blame people, I guess. You know, seeing teams essentially just throw away matches just in the first two rounds, it's it's not good. It's not good. So I'm hoping that, you know, some of these fixtures, if not the format, uh, will make up for it somewhat. So in the Heineken Cup on Friday the 13th, whoop, yikes, uh, Claremont will host Leicester. Then on Saturday, it's a massive slate of games. Early afternoon, my time, it will be Gloucester at home for Leinster. Uh, Sale will be taking on Toulouse. What a match that one should be. Then it's Sharks hosting my Board of Eagles. Munster versus Northampton Saints. The Bulls versus Exeter. La Rochelle versus Ulster. Saracens versus Lyon. And finally, Ospreys at the Swansea.com stadium to face Montpellier. That will leave us three fixtures for Sunday, which are London Irish versus Stormers, Cast versus Edinburgh, and finally, Rassing versus Harlequins. Woo, some real crackers in there by the looks of it. Also, naturally, we will have Challenge Cup action at the same time. Two Friday the 13th matchups, Scarlets versus the Invitational Cheetahs and Poe versus Dragons. Then, Saturday, we'll feature Stade Francais versus the Lions, Benetton versus Bayonne, Bath versus Toulon, Connacht versus Breve, Zebre versus Bristol, and Perpignan hosting the Glasgow Warriors. Sunday's only offering will be Cardiff versus Newcastle, and that, my friends, will close out round three of both of the European Cups. Should be really great stuff. Um, by the way, people are angrily saying we can't call it the European Cups any longer. I mean, my obnoxious little argument is after Brexit, any competition with English teams can't be called European anyway, right? Though, you know, I mostly say that just to get a rise out of people. And somehow, it still hasn't really worked. Either way, lots of great stuff on tap for next weekend. <laughs> my friends that does it for another week and after all the negativity surrounding the first two rounds of the european cups i'm honestly not sure how excited i am for the next couple of rounds it's like just hard to know uh either way here's hoping we'll find some exciting matchups some exciting results naturally i'll be here anyway to share all the outcomes along with my goofy so-called insights next week oh and speaking of next week that episode will be episode number 78 which means it will officially be a year and a half of non-stop weekly episodes. Uh, for a good while there, the bonus episodes, mostly interviews obviously, outnumbered the regular weekly episodes, but the balance has swung back just a little bit, so episode 78 will be either the 151st or 152nd overall podcast, you know, which for me is nothing to sneeze at. Um, if you're enjoying any of it at all, you know, do me a favor, drop me a nice review, come along through Anchor to support the show outright, or... You know, just drop me a line to tell me what you think. I would really appreciate it. So, 
As always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.